This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Well, happy Father's Day to all you men that are fathers. God bless you and thank you for all that you mean to us here at Life Church because you're an integral part of our fellowship here. I'd like for you to pull out your notes for today's message and I will try to really move through this quickly so that we don't keep you here uh, past well, I won't promise that, but we won't keep you here too terribly long. Uh, we're in this series of messages on lessons from the Old Testament. Today, I want to talk about a man by the name of Gideon who was raised up by God at a very critical time in Israel's history. His story is found in the book of Judges, chapter 6, 7, and 8, and you can kind of review the whole story later on if you wish to do that. Let me just kind of give you, especially for those of you that are kind of new to the faith, new to the Word of God, let me give you the Reader's Digest version of his story. I think it would probably go something like this. Israel is again under uh, the occupation of a foreign government, because of their continued sin against God. You see that over and over and over again in the Old Testament and especially in the book of Judges. And this time, they're under the occupation of a nation, of a group of people by the name of the Midianites. It's interesting that uh, Midian, the father of the Midianites, was one of Abraham's children. Uh, he was actually born to Abraham and his, one of his wives by the name of Keturah. And you might remember that Moses' wife uh, was a Midianite. So this is the kind of group of people that are now attacking Israel. And so in a very real sense, they are, they are relatives of the Israelites, of the Jewish people. Um, they are half, half brothers, I guess. Uh, Midian would have been a, a, and, it, and uh, Isaac. So, uh, you know, really when you think about what's all happening in the Middle East, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's all a family feud they're all related to each other. And it's just so sad that families act that way, you know, that, that relatives act like that towards one another, but it's true. Now, it goes clear back all these thousands of years, and, and at this particular time, the Midianites are, are dominating the Israelites because of Israel's sin, and they were extremely brutal to Israel. Uh, the Bible tells us that they stole everything of value from from the Jewish people, they stole their crops, stole their animals. So uh, Israel was living in abject poverty and they began to cry out to God because of the seriousness of their situation, starving to death, asking for God to deliver them again. And the angel of the Lord shows up and he appears to a man by the name of Gideon. And it's interesting what the angel of the Lord calls him in Judges chapter six, verse 12 calls him a mighty man of valor, mighty man of valor. The uh, New International Version translates that as a mighty warrior, and the New Living Translation renders it a mighty hero. So anyway, uh, the, the reoccurring theme that you see there is the word mighty. He's a, he's a great man, but when God met him, he didn't look like a mighty man of valor at that particular time because where you find Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, um, what he's doing in that wine press is he's hiding his crop from the Midianites because he doesn't want it to be stolen. Uh, a wine press is not used for threshing wheat. 
but he's hiding in there. So he doesn't look like a mighty man of valor. But the thing I want you to see here is that God calls Gideon what he was going to make him to be, not what he was at the moment. And we need to really get that in our hearts, that what we are today, men, may not be everything. In fact, I doubt that any of us will ever be everything that God wants us to be. But God sees us as what we can be, not just what we are. And I want to say to everyone that that is true of all of us. God sees you as you can be if you'll surrender to him, not just as you are. Well, then the Lord told Gideon that he wanted to, uh, to use him to deliver Israel. So Gideon asked the angel for a sign, for proof that, this was, that he was getting the message right. He asked that a, a woolen fleece he happened to have, he would lay it on the ground. He says, what I'm going to ask you to do is in the morning, I'm going to ask that the fleece be soaking wet from the dew, but that the ground around the fleece would be totally dry, and that's exactly what happened, wet fleece, dry ground. But the, the task God was calling him to do was so monumental and, and I suppose intimidating, his faith is still a bit shaky, so Gideon asked for another sign. This time it's the reverse of the first sign. He says, this time I'm asking that the fleece will be totally dry and the ground will be soaked from the dew of the morning, and that's exactly the way it happened. So Gideon knew that God was calling him to use him to deliver Israel. Gideon called for Israel's fighting men to join him, but he got only about 32,000 men. But, but Midian's army was 135,000 men strong. So you got 135,000 Midianites and you got 32,000 Israelites that are going to go against one another. So right off the bat, the, the odds are not too great for Gideon or for Israel. But he's trusting God. He's trusting that this God who has fulfilled his request for signs is going to bring it to pass. But here's where God really starts testing Gideon's faith. And those of you who know the story know where I'm going with this. God said to Gideon, you know those 32,000 guys you got? You got too many. He said, if you, if you go out and win the battle with 32,000, you'll think that you guys did it yourself. So God told Gideon, I want you to tell the fighting army that you've got that everyone who is fearful, everyone who is afraid of going into battle, to clear on out. We don't want you to stay. 22,000 of the 32,000 leave. So now he's down to 10,000 warriors. But God comes and tests his faith again, and this time he says to him, you still got too many warriors. So God told him to separate. This was an interesting one. He says, we're going to go down by the spring, and you're going to offer a drink to all of your soldiers. And he said, uh, uh, those of your soldiers who get down on all fours and kind of put their mouth to the spring, as opposed to those who kind of kneel down and cup with their hand. I want you to separate, separate out those that kneel down, and I want you to remove them from the army. Only those that, that kneel down on two, two feet, don't go down on all four, but they cup with their hand to their mouth the water. I want you to keep them. 11,700 got down on all fours. Only 300 are left. And God says, that's just right. 
Now it's 300 against 135,000 Midianite warriors. Now to encourage Gideon's faith, God says, Gideon, I want you to go down to the Midianite camp tonight in the middle of the night, and I want you to just listen to what you hear. And he hears two soldiers talking. And one soldier is telling the other soldier about a dream that he had had the night before. And he said, and it's recorded in Judges 7:13, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. And the friend says to him, verse 14, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon victory over Midian. Now, I suppose that there are a number of ways of interpreting this particular dream. But believing that a barley loaf rolling down a hill, knocking over a tent, is proof that Gideon is going to destroy all the warriors of Midian seems a huge stretch by my way of thinking. But God is already setting in the hearts of Israel's enemy a spirit of fear. They are already beginning to believe and doubt that they're going to win this war. Gideon is so full of faith by what he hears that he rallies his 300 troops. They don't have any weapons, so he gives to each of them a trumpet, and, and, which is a ram's horn, and a pitcher of uh, of light, a, 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 a picture that would give forth light. So they have 300 of these. And he divides them into three groups and they surround the Midianite camp. And at the signal, they break their, their jars so that the light really shines out. And they all blow their, their, uh, their trumpets. This threw the whole Midianite camp and army into confusion. They were so confused that they started killing one another. And by their own hand, the Bible says they killed 120,000 of one another, of each other, in their confusion. Now, the rest of the Midianites, the other 12,000, they run for their lives. And long story short, Gideon dispatches all of them, and they are all destroyed. What an incredible victory for Israel takes place. But one of the things that I noticed as, as a primary uh, point of truth out of this scripture is how God dealt with Gideon's doubts. And I think this is, this is important. But, but because before Gideon could conquer Midian, he had to first conquer his fear and his doubts. And I think that that is true of every one of us as well. Before you're going to battle and win against the big thing that's coming against you, you've got to first of all know that God is with you and you've got to know that he's going to see you through. You've got to conquer your own doubts. The truth is, sometimes we will face overwhelming odds in life as well. And maybe just like Gideon, you wonder if God is going to take the little that you have and help you beat or win against this huge uh, opposition and turn it into a great victory for your life. 
And I want to speak specifically to you dads this morning. Maybe you're wondering how life is going to turn out for you, how God is going to be faithful to you and to your family, how it is that, that you can survive, how it is that you can not only survive but to thrive in a time in, in American culture where things seem to be dissolving. Can, can we make it in victory? Can we overcome? Can you as fathers lead your families into victory? Well, to do that, I, I want to encourage you dads today, just like God encouraged Gideon, by dealing with some of those doubts and some of the questions that we face as we deal with life in 2016. Same kind of questions that Gideon had to deal with. And the first question would be this, does God really care about me? Does God care about us as a family? Does God care what we're going through? You know, when you look at the desperate conditions of the Israelites, what they were facing under Midianite rule, and this had gone on for seven years, it would really be easy for them to, to feel doubt in their heart and to wonder and to question if God cares. And it helps us to understand Gideon's comment, which he makes in verse number 13 of chapter 6. Just after God called Gideon a mighty man of valor, Gideon said in verse 13, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Have you ever felt that way before? I think that most of us have wondered in our heart, well, if God really cares, then why am I facing this crisis? If God really cares, then why am I facing overwhelming odds? If God really cares, then why am I dealing with something that seems so impossible? Does God really care about me? Maybe he cares for the person sitting next to me, but does God care about me? You know, Gideon made the mistake of assuming that if God really cared, then everything would always be good and go well for him and all of Israel all of the time. He felt like God's favor meant everything went good all of the time. And we do exactly the same thing. If God really cares, then why am I going through this trial? If God really cares, then why did my loved one die? If God really cares about the scripture, and on and on and on, we could go with that. But the truth is, God's care isn't measured by outward circumstances, by those kinds of things. God's care for you is always measured by one thing, and it's the cross. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, If God is for us, and the word if could be translated very legitimately, since God is for us. It's a stated fact. Who can ever be against us? And how do we know that God is for us? Verse 32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? The greatest thing that God did for you and me is put Jesus on that cross in my place, in your place. If he cares that much about you and me, can't you have confidence that he cares about everything else you're facing in life as well? In fact, look at the last part of verse 32 again. It says, won't 
he also give us everything else. The truth is what Paul is saying is it's a rhetorical question. You can trust that God cares about you. Dad, I want you to know today that Jesus cares about every issue that you and your family are facing. And he has promised to you to give you everything that you need to make it through in victory so you can trust him. Look at what he has done and let that give you a new confidence and a new faith for what he is going to do in the days ahead. Hallelujah. The second thing that Gideon had to deal with is does God know what he's doing? From verses 14 through 24 of chapter 6. Does God know what he's doing? So God says to Gideon in chapter 6, verse 12, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And then verse 14, he says, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And then he whittles the army down from 32,000 down to 300. And, you know, it should have been enough in Gideon's mind that the Lord had promised him that he was going to use him to bring deliverance. But Gideon struggled with God's plan. Does God know what he's doing? There are 135,000 Midianites and there's only 32,000 Israeli soldiers. That's a four to one. Those are four to one odds against Israel. And if that's not bad enough, God goes on and he whittles them down to 300. Now that's 450 to one odds against Israel. That is disaster, folks, in the natural. But God said, that's just enough. That's just fine. That would make any of us want to say, God, are you sure you know what you are doing? We're laying our lives on the line. I mean, I, was, I didn't like it, but at least I was alive in the wine press threshing wheat. Now you're going to put me on the front lines with only 300 other soldiers behind me. And, oh, this is scary. Are you sure you know what you're doing? The truth is, if God is not a God of miracles, then the answer to, to, to Gideon's question is no, he doesn't know what he's doing. Because it's crazy to put 300 up against 135,000. But if he is a God of miracles, then it's a whole other story. Because it never was 450 to 1 odds. I want you to get that in your heart. It's not 451 odds against you either. It was always God Almighty against 135,000 Midianite soldiers. And that is no contest. Hallelujah. I remember hearing a song years ago by the Imperials, Jesus and me, it said, we are a majority. All I need is just Jesus. With Jesus, that's enough. Hallelujah. The victory always was the Lord's. It never was Gideon's. The victory is the Lord's in your life. It's not yours. It's not your mental ability. It's not your physical strength. It's not your ability to work your way or figure your way out of this thing. When you commit it to the Lord Jesus Christ and you serve him, I tell you what, God goes before you. He, he takes up the rear guard and he's on both sides as well. Hallelujah. So whatever you are facing, if you're living for Jesus, it's never you facing that issue or that trial alone. The battle is the Lord's. I remember a song from years ago, also from the Imperials, probably back in the late 70s, early 80s, it said, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for the truth of that? 
Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some men trust in chariots and some men they trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some people are trusting their bank account. Some are people are trusting uh, the political election. For me and my house, we are trusting the name of the Lord our God. And God is challenging every man in this place today to trust that God knows what he is doing in your life, in your career, and in your family. You can trust him. Number three, does God keep his promises? Verses 33 through 40, chapter 6. When God your 300 will defeat their 135,000, you want to know something more than anything else that God's going to keep his promise. That's what you want to know. That's what Gideon needed to know, and that's what every man in this building needs to know today. But I want to encourage you this morning that the story of Gideon proves that God will keep his promise to you too. So what has God promised to you? Let's look at just some of his promises in Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies your, you with good, so that your youth is renewed as the eagles. The word benefits there means to be rewarded. It, it means uh, for God to deal with you bountifully. It doesn't mean just barely going to give you bountiful blessings from God. Uh, it means to bestow, to give, to do good to you. And that's God's promise to every one of us. And David is telling us, don't forget what God has promised those of you that are committed to living your life for him. First of all, forgiveness. God promises to forgive your sin. I've had people say, I don't feel like God has forgiven me. doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what God has said, that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins. You go by faith, not by feelings. Number two, healing. God is able to heal every disease. Last week, I read the testimony on Facebook of a personal friend of Carrie and mine. Uh, she was admitted to the hospital and it was diagnosed with, with heart failure at a very young age. She's only like in her late 40s, early 50s. And we were just shocked at this word. And the doctor said that there was nothing they could do. But God's people started praying for this young woman a week ago. And I saw posted again on Facebook that the doctors have since discovered that her heart, which was functioning at only a 25% uh, rate, is now improved to over 40%. They have no explanation for how this is correcting itself, how it's getting better. The doctors are mystified, but we know it's the power of our healing God at work through believing prayer. And we're believing for her full healing. Proverbs chapter, or excuse me, Psalm 103 verse, ver, verse 3 promises that he heals all of our diseases. Number three, redemption. Redemption means to buy back. Whatever bondage Satan has put your life under, Jesus broke that bondage when he paid for and bought back your freedom on the cross. You are not under Satan's foot any longer. You're not under his dominion anymore. You're a redeemed child of God. You're destined for overcoming victory in your life. Listen, don't you let any besetting sin dominate you. You have the power in the presence of the Holy Spirit to overcome 
anything that your flesh wants to drag you into. Your flesh will drag you straight to hell if you let it. But you stand as a redeemed child of God and say, I am not coming under that bondage again. Hallelujah. I'm liable to get excited. Number four, crowning. He promises to crown you with love and compassion. You know, I thought about it. Crown is obvious. It sits on the head of a king. It's seen by everyone. David is saying here that people are going to see God in your life. They're going to see love and compassion. When everybody else in the world today is crowned with deceit and crowned with self-interest and, and they're, they're just focused on themselves, you will wear a crown of love and compassion. You know what that's going to do? It's going to draw people to Jesus, the Jesus that you serve. They're going to look at you and say, there's something about that guy, something about that gal. I want that in my life as as well. Number five, satisfaction. God is committed to bringing good things into your life that satisfy your soul. The things of the world never satisfy, not for long. Listen, religion will not satisfy your soul. What God has promised in Jesus Christ is a soul satisfaction that you know deep down inside that you're a child of the king and you are satisfied with what God's doing in your life. And then number six, renewal. David said, your, your youth will be renewed like the eagles. I want you to know that at my age, having my youth renewed is a, is a marvelous promise, and I'm claiming it. I can see a full head of hair. What God is saying here is that as long as Jesus gives you life, he promises to give you the strength and the ability to do everything that he has planned for your life everything that he has planned to do through your life. Did you get that? As long as you have breath in your lungs, God is saying, I'm going to give you the ability to do everything I've called you to do. And men, God is true to every promise. I want you dads to get that. Listen to Joshua's final comment regarding God's faithfulness in chapter 21, verse 45 of the book of Joshua. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he spoke came true. I want you to get that last part. Everything he had spoken came true. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 encourages us to hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for what God can be trusted to keep his promise. So the story of Gideon, through it, God wants to remind you of three things. First of all, that God cares about every detail of your life. Secondly, that he knows what he's doing. And thirdly, you can trust that he will fulfill every promise that he has made to you. He will bring it to pass through you. Now, I called this message Gideon... God's man at a critical time. And I think most of us know that we're living in a very critical time in America today. God is looking for some Gideons. God is looking for some men who will stand up and be Gideons in this critical hour and will let God use them. I'm not saying he's going to make you president of the United States, although maybe he will. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what he's going to do through you. I'm just saying, are you willing to say, here's my life, Lord. I will be whatever you want me to be. Now, some of you are immediately already starting to think, well, I've screwed it up so bad, there's no way God can use me. 
I want you to know that you serve a God who takes the broken pieces of your life and he puts them back together again. And he makes something beautiful. And there may be some limitations here and there because of past choices, but God will make you so fruitful over the new thing that you won't worry about the old thing anymore. Hallelujah. He's going to use you. Let's stand together. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.